One of the books that I've been reading during such a time as this is titled Life Reimagined. You already heard uh, Sabrina speaking about that in the Spoken Meditation. It's subtitled The Science, Art, and Opportunity of Midlife. It's written by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. Some of you will recognize that name from hearing her voice over the years on NPR, National Public Radio. Haggerty's book is about navigating midlife, but there are a surprising number of relevant insights for finding your way through any disorienting event, including a pandemic. So much of the shift to midlife is about being more regularly confronted with the fact that we don't have unlimited time on this earth, and we're all being regularly confronted with that truth these days. One response to that might be despair. And don't get me wrong, spending some quality time in the fetal position now and then, (laughs) that is legit. Another response could be hedonism, all those classical tales of buying a sports car or having an affair, etc. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, this really does go back that far, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But both history and psychology tell us that any such attempts at sensual self-indulgence are at most fleeting pleasures. So a third and potentially much more satisfying um, response long-term might be reimagining your life in previously unforeseeable ways. And it's the possibility of such a life reimagined that I would like to invite us to spend a few minutes considering this morning. If I could ask you to remember one thing that I'm going to say this morning, it would be this. Choose purpose over happiness. Choose purpose over happiness, and you may well give your chance, yourself the greatest chance of stumbling forward into finding both. If we seek or pursue happiness alone, the temptation is to pursue fleeting pleasures that give our brain those, that temporary dopamine rush. So eating junk food, uh, keeping on checking if someone liked something we posted on social media, or whatever form of self-medicating, medic- you, you know what your thing is. The trouble is that a crash inevitably comes on the other side of that dopamine rush, and it leaves us craving another hit in this endless cycle of unsatisfactoriness. Now again, don't get me wrong, binge-watching, binge-eating, binge-whatevering, they all have their time and place. If you survey the calendars of almost every society historically, there have been feast days for indulging and celebrating, and fast days for turning inward and reflecting. Uh, The problem comes if every day becomes a feast day or every day becomes a fast day. So how do we choose purpose over happiness on all those regular days in between the feasts and the fasts, especially when our usual routines have been upended due to physical distancing? One example here at UCF that the staff and I have been talking about in the wake of this pandemic is that we more or less know what we should be doing generally. 
even if we have to figure out some of the specifics like doing the service from our homes over Zoom. Whether before or during or after a pandemic, we have a very clear mission here at UCF. So we among the staff have been asking ourselves, what does it mean to encourage spiritual growth, to build a beloved community and to act for peace and justice during a pandemic? And our answers to those questions are what we've been doing and emailing you all about for the past two weeks. And I'm grateful to have heard from many of you that we've been doing a pretty good job of living into our mission for such a time as this. Thank you all as well for all that I know um, all of you are doing in various ways within your spheres of influence. So what then does that look like you for you personally? Although I can't answer that question for you, I can give you some tools to help. When philosophers talk about the importance of choosing purpose over happiness, part of what they're referring to is an ancient idea. It actually goes, all the way back more than 2,000 years to Aristotle. He called it uh, eudaimonia. It's actually best translated as human flourishing. Pursuing long-term goals that give meaning to life, figuring out your purpose in life, giving your uh, unique set of talents and capacities. So how do we do that? Again, I can't answer it for you, but I can share with you some touchstones that have been helpful to me. Almost two decades ago now, the Lilly Endowment began putting millions of dollars into funding programs across the country related to the theological exploration of vocation. And I had the opportunity to be a counselor at quite a few different camps for young people along those lines at Furman University, my alma mater, as well as at Duke University and Maryville College. Uh, in helping to plan and co-lead those programs, part of what I did on the side was I just kept this running list of quotes, these various ways and tools and frameworks related to discerning one's vocation, one's purpose or calling in life. And for now, I'll share with you just my top three favorites of that very long list in the hope that one or more of them may be of use to you in the coming days. The first definition is from the author and minister Frederick Beekner, who begins by saying that neither the hair shirt nor the soft birth will do. Now, some of you may know that term birth, B-E-R-T-H. It's a nautical term for uh, a location to anchor where a ship can swing around in the links of her moorings, as in, you may have heard the phrase, keep a wide berth of something. The problem with a soft berth is that if you have a storm, a ship can flail around and hit something and end up with a hole in its hull. So too soft a berth won't do. Conversely, being too strict or too harsh won't do either. Setting up these like super rigid regimes. I know some of you have seen these memes for homeschooling that have been circulating that like have every 15 minutes planned. That, that probably isn't going to work either. Beekner's image here of a hair shirt, it's what ancient ascetics used to wear underneath their clothes that would constantly chafe the skin 24 hours a day as a reminder to be penitent. So Beekner's saying that um, you know, neither a hair shirt nor a soft birth will do. So what should we do? He concludes, the place you were called to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet.
nothing too strict, nothing too leaving you at loose ends. Rather, you're seeking that place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. The second definition is from the African-American author and activist, um, Howard Thurman, who wrote, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then do that. Because what the world needs, he says, is people that have come alive. I love that. The needs of the world can be overwhelming, but witnessing others living into their joy makes the world a better place for all. Rounding up my uh, top three definitions of vocation is Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a positive psychologist and professor at Harvard who has written that you will find your calling at the intersection of pleasure and meaning. That place where personal satisfaction meets a larger significance for the world and others. Which each of these three definitions, the first step is to notice the activities that give you joy. What makes you feel alive and connected and engaged with others in the world around you? What do you love doing that allows you to go into a flow state for hours on end? Uh, the second step is to discern how those activities that you love might intersect with the needs of the world for such a time as this. At that intersection of pleasure and meaning, you'll find purpose that has a significant chance of giving you long-term satisfaction and flourishing. And I'm not saying that you need to figure out a grand plan for your life in the next week. I'll just give you two small examples of just noticing what um, works for you. So um, for me, what I've noticed is that the, the sort of stress of such a time as this, I've noticed part of what my body wants to do is to get outside and exercise. So I was, you know, going running a lot. And then I started noticing I was running like more than I needed to be. And so I don't even know if I'll finish this, but I signed up for, I'd run a, my first marathon last year. So I signed up for a marathon training plan. Now, I don't know that that marathon is going to save the world, right? But it's a way of taking that running and beginning to um, put purpose to it. Uh, and Or I can give you another example. My aunt really loves to sew. So something she did in this past week, if you can see this, is she sewed a stole for me and, and mailed it to me. So that was something she did that, um, you know, with something she loves to do. Uh, there's a lot more, and so the, the question for you is to consider what's, what's your thing, and then how can you begin to like, give it purpose, and then how can you maybe stumble into how it might serve the world. So there's a lot more I could say about Haggerty's book, as well as midlife generally as a guide for such a time as this, um, but for now I'll share with you two final things that have been on my heart this week. First, in the spirit of savoring what we do still have and are still capable of in the midst of so many limitations and threats these days, um, I thought of a poem this past week that I, has been a lot to me over the years but hadn't thought about in quite a while. It's a poem titled Otherwise by 
Jane Kenyon. I'd like to invite you to hear it. Uh, you'll have to adjust her words to what is true for you, but out of her experience, Kenyon writes, I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did the work I love. At noon I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the wall and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. In so many ways, our lives are already otherwise, but we are each still here. So in whatever time we do have, may we continue to savor all that remains good and true and beautiful in our midst. The second and final piece I wanted to share with you is from the meditation teacher, Jack Cornfield about a Buddhist response to this pandemic. He's wrestling with what do we do when we and those we care about are repeatedly impacted by hatred, greed, and delusion from some of the highest seats of power. Cornfield writes, how will we respond? Are we going to respond with further greed, hatred, fear, and ignorance of our, on our own? That's just going to bring more suffering to ourselves and others in the world. Or might we respond with, um, with more love, more generosity, clarity, steadfastness, steadfastness. Kornfeld says, this is the time for love. And in a way that sounds a lot like our first principle, Kornfeld continues, trust your dignity, your goodness. Where others hoard, help. Where others deceive, stand up for truth. Where others are overwhelmed or uncaring, be kind and respectful. May it be so for such a time as this, as we recommit ourselves anew to meaning, to purpose, and love. Will you breathe with me? Just take a deep breath in and out. <clears throat> 